0: a blessing. If you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want to continue a short series we began a couple weeks ago about living generously and what does that look like. And uh, the scriptures give us several um, portions that teach us and encourage us and affirm us. And uh, this morning give us a portrait of what that life looks like. And so I want to read the first seven verses of Second Corinthians chapter eight, and uh, then we'll see what God has for us. Now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us. With much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Consequently, we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he'd also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, And in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we come before your word, we recognize this past week we've we've seen a lot, we've experienced a lot, we've heard a lot of voices that have told us how to live and told us what we need and what we don't need and... Lord, I would pray that all those voices right now would fade. We would hear your word as it is, your words to us and to our heart. Help us to receive them. Lord, to apply them for the glory of your name and the furthering of your kingdom. It's your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We have, it seems, not hard to look around and see a, a mindset in our culture. And you're, if you're like me, you're kind of up to here with it. Uh, it's the me mindset. It's the sense of entitlement. It's the sense of life's about me, and it's, it's about my accumulation of things. And, and so we tend to set our focus on those things. But we have a portrait this morning that's much different than that. It's a portrait for you and I to look at, to emulate, and certainly to learn from. It's about a servant And servants who give quickly, willingly, generously, so others might benefit and others might grow. Now the context of 2 Corinthians 8 is Paul, who's the writer of this, is involved in collecting money for a hurting congregation in Jerusalem. And as he goes through Europe, specifically the region of Macedonia, he announces the need. He goes to churches and says, hey, we got your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. There's there's great need there. And so he would just announce it throughout the churches. Macedonia now was already economically depressed. So it's kind of like going to people on welfare saying, I need you to give to people over here on welfare. That seems kind of odd. But that's kind of what's going on. He's coming to economically deprived regions and telling them about a great need Remarkably, they gave. They gave financially, and they gave of themselves to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. They didn't have sufficient resources, but they gave to those who didn't have sufficient resources. What a picture! It certainly reveals a great difference between a giver and one who gives. It's a great portrait of one who has a lifestyle of giving. And one who just gives periodically. So what does this portrait show us? Well, to begin, it tells us, first of all, Christians give. Because our God gives. For God so loved the world, he gave. God's the greatest giver. Whenever we give, we emulate him in that way. But let's look how they give. They give us a great picture, I think, of how you and I can live generously in our life. Now I look out a, uh, to a congregation that's incredibly gracious and in giving. And so, to many of you, this will come as just a reminder and encouragement to do what you're already doing. And for others, it might be a little nudge. Yesterday, Emily rode horse in a, a champ show over in Minneapolis, and, and, uh, and that's a ton of fun. But one of the things, when they get to the like, Pee Wee League, The peewee department, Britta's laughing at me. I don't know the correct terminology, okay? But they're really little, and you got to love these parents, not so much. But they'll set these little kids on a horse, walk them in the gate, and just shove the horse. I'm like, you got to be kidding. And the little kid's flying around off the saddle, and I'm looking for them to go over, and they're riding and weaving and coming back. I'm breathing. I'm having a heart attack for these poor kids. And they keep sending them out, 50 kids, these little kids whose lives are on the line. Every single horse, I'm like breathing heavy, I'm, I'm praying for them, and I don't know what's going to happen to these kids. And, uh, and I kind of wonder, somewhere along the line, the parents just shoved them out and, uh, the first time, and launched them, and now they became more comfortable, and it, it just becomes a, a part of what they do when they ride their horses in these events. And, and maybe this morning kind of comes like that, just kind of giving you a nudge. To live that type of lifestyle. And so as you and I ponder what that looks like, let's learn from these precious people. One, they give anonymously. All we're told in verse one, "Brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy, their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of liberality they gave. Who gave? Just the churches in Macedonia. We don't have any specific names. We have no monuments or statues erected. They just gave. Came from the churches. Matthew 6, Jesus taught about this and said, hey, a great way to live and give. Chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And so there's this idea that when we give anonymously, God is honored, needs are met, and givers are enabled And enriched by God who sees it. And the one who lives generously gets up each day, I believe, expectantly stays in tune to the Holy Spirit for direction, to live a life of giving, to be sensitive to needs, to have their antenna up. It's a great way to live. And they model for us to give anonymously. These people also gave deliberately. Verse 2 A great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy, their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They gave deliberately, specifically. One older couple was interviewed about their thoughts on giving. This is what they said. They said, our life's purpose for giving is as follows. To help fulfill the Great Commission by giving 50% of our annual income to Christian causes that have the greatest leverage to do this, we must maximize our income, consult with knowledgeable people, about ministry and select best organizations and initiatives to support. We've averaged 33% the last 15 years. and most recent two years, we've reached our goal of giving 50% to God's kingdom. Notice the clarity and the determination. Now, it doesn't mean we need to give 50%. That's not the point at all. But they were deliberate. And it was part of their purpose in living. There was a, a deliberate and intentional act they had to be generous Now, if we can kind of give attention, which we do to a lot of other areas in our life, and be deliberate, I wonder if maybe we could be a little more deliberate in our giving. I think it's a good encouragement for us, they give us. I I thought about what that deliberate intentionality looks like. And it got me thinking about this recent trend, not recent, but seems recent, um, that you and I have this automatic withdrawal you know, to pay bills and insurance. And, and, and after a while, some people have this automatic withdrawal to give to the church or to give to causes. And, and, and I don't know what I think about that. Maybe it's okay and, and fine, and maybe people are able to deliberately, at that time of month, it's withdrawn focus on that. But I wonder if this strategy sometimes moves giving to the back burner or maybe removes the act of worship attached to giving so that we're no longer conscious and deliberate on it. I don't know. Maybe you're okay with that. Maybe that's fine. But I think participation in giving requires you and I be deliberate. And that's a good thing, to be deliberate in our giving. See, God's leading leads to deliberate giving. They give deliberately. They give specifically. They also gave generously. If you look at verse 2, can't help but go by it. The wealth of their liberality. It indicates these Macedonian churches who had just passed through a A time of tribulation, add that to their extreme poverty, they had every reason not to give. There's not one of us in here who wouldn't say, It's okay if you don't give. You're going through a lot. There's been tribulation, maybe some persecution. You're having trouble putting food on the table. You and I would look at them and say, It's okay to hold off for a while. They said, No, it's not okay. We want to be generous. We want to help our brothers and sisters. See, that was the, that was their vision. We want to help others in the kingdom, and so they gave generously. And although they were experiencing tough times, it didn't diminish their joy and their of their abundance of their joy in giving. Now I can hear someone say, "That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. That people who would be experiencing all that they did in deep poverty, not just poverty, deep poverty." That is ridiculous that they would give like that. Maybe you would look at them and say, that's foolish. Well, I don't know. I don't think it's foolish. Ridiculous might be a little closer. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Let each one do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful, the Greek word is hilarious. We get our English word hilarious. Literally, it means, for the hilarious giver, God prizes. So maybe it's not so far away from ridiculous. God says when we give that way, it's hilarious. I mean, we should be filled with joy to live that type of life, and they were. I remember when we went down to Mexico for a missions trip and we were building a house for this family, it was just struck us how happy they were. Not that we were building a house, they just were genuinely happy people. There was a deep joy there. And when they prayed, it was just so rich to pray with them. And they had a joy, even though they didn't have much, even though they ate and they cooked over a fire ring and dirt floor and had old billboard signs as the walls to their their dwelling, they were rich in joy. And so material possessions don't make us joyful. As these people testify to, they gave generously. A happy spirit, to me, takes this grind out of living. And certainly takes the grind out of giving. So, what Proverbs 22.9 says, a generous man himself will be blessed. And part of being blessed is we'll experience joy and blessing. Now, it wasn't just one person. Verse 2, this is a generous church. Against the churches. He said, beyond their ability, they, plural, verse 3, they gave of their own accord. This was a generous church, and God impressed upon them to give, and give indeed they did. Matter If you don't believe me, look at verse 3. According to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. They gave as much as they were able, beyond their ability. Can you remember a time you gave more than you should have logically speaking? I mean, when you gave, and if you were honest, you scared yourself a little bit. Kind of got sweaty palms, like, oof, it's going to be a tough one, and you gave. Wasn't it great? I mean, honestly, wasn't it great? You walked away thinking, oh, this was good. This was good. And maybe later when you looked at the bills, you thought, oh, but you looked back and said, that was good. And these people gave that way. They gave generously. And this is what it means to live generously. What Macedonian believers modeled was for you and I to live generously. What do you model? What will we model moving forward as individuals and as a church? Now, we've been having as a next step that that, that book, The Money Challenge. Who's, who's been doing it? We're not, I'm not taking roll, just okay, good. Um, coming up, as you're gonna read in the chapters, are what's called generosity killers. And as he speaks to Annie, if you remember the character Annie in this book, here's the four generosity killers, keeping up with the Joneses: debt, disorganization, and financially separate, having spouses who aren't on the same page or not even even interacting about finances. You see, as you and I are financially go about our life, as our financial health is strengthened, so can your generosity. We are designed, I believe, to be conduits through whom his generosity flows. And we'll never regret living generously. But we need to be careful of those generosity killers. They do make it difficult. We also learn verse 3 through 4 about these people. They gave voluntarily. No one twisted their arms. No one guilted them. They gave as much as they were able, we're told, even beyond their own ability. Verse 4, not only did no one guilt them, no one begged them to give. They actually begged to be able to give. I mean, tables are turned there, and what we usually experience, they're saying, Paul, yeah, we don't have much. It's okay. We want to give. Please, let us give. We love our brothers and sisters. We want to give to them. And begged they did. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded for the privilege of sharing. As Paul says later, not reluctantly, wasn't under compulsion, They gave voluntarily. Again, we've been designed by God to give and to share. I think it takes us away from our tendency to become isolated and indifferent. One way we worship is tithing. And tithing allows us to focus and worship and honor God with the first fruits of our income. Helps us remember he's the owner and to cultivate a generous spirit. And acknowledge our faith and our trust in God to provide. It's a pattern for a local church ministry is to honor God with our tithe. But there's another act of worship called offerings. These are above and beyond the tithe. These are not a tithe. And whether you give to parachurch organizations or building campaigns coming up, this is a different act of worship than the tithe. It doesn't replace a tithe. And so we have privileged opportunities to worship God in multiple ways. We shouldn't be redirecting one form of worship to the other one, uh, we should just look at both opportunities and worship God as we're able to. They, so they voluntarily gave. There's a worship, I think a worshipful spirit about their life. They invested in lives. And I think when we look in terms of investing in lives and, and, and blessing other people, it takes that grind out of giving. It's, it's all about that focus that you and I have in our life. And they didn't have; they didn't do it because they had to. These people gave voluntarily, and I feel when we don't give voluntarily, you and I are robbed of an opportunity to grow in faith and an opportunity to experience great joy of being God's conduit. The portrait we have here is they gave voluntarily, and you probably picked up when I read it. Maybe I I tipped my hand by emphasizing it. There's another another characteristic. Of this portrait, is that as they gave personally, verse five, and this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Paul saying these precious people, they gave personally of themselves. I think he probably has this idea of prayer, encouragement, support in multiple ways. They gave themselves to us. They didn't just throw a buck in a the plate. They gave themselves personally. Isn't that the best way we could give? Give love. Personally give encouragement, build each other up. how easy it is to tear people down. But the question I think is if we're going to give personally, what do we give to build each other up and to encourage people? And sometimes it's easier to give something than oneself. But personal engagement's essential if you and I are to live generously and live a life on purpose. Jesus' radical philosophy, I think, could be summed up: Be a servant. Give to other people. And I think ministry that costs nothing often accomplishes nothing. With a building campaign up, and i got to be honest, I'm excited to be personally involved in investing in the next generation. And giving to those not yet at Elam to position this next generation, I I find it an incredible privilege and opportunity to be a part of it. And I hope you and I think in terms of that personal investment. Not just giving although it's needed, but to personally invest yourself in that. Encouraging, praying for, and being a part of that. It's an opportunity to give to ministry to have a generational impact. And I hope you and I realize what an opportunity and privilege that is. To live generously daily requires, in some cases, a real radical change. There's three questions that can be really convicting, and I think we need to interact with them, all of us. Am I serious about being a close follower of Jesus? It really starts there. Are you serious about it? If you're yes, then maybe this next question is one to ask. Do I think of others to the extent that self-denial is becoming the rule rather than the exception? In other words, do I live with a daily focus on people more so than myself? And am I growing in that? If your desire is to be a close follower of Jesus... Then obviously the next question is, am I living a self-denial life, a self-denying life on a regular basis? And then, is my walk with him a daily one? We'll come back to the sense of daily walk with God. So you and I can be sensitive to his leading daily, to not waste days that we have. Reflect and seek God's help. Welcome the transformation of his spirit. And welcome those opportunities to be a conduit. Let's put these together, not just this morning, but these last couple messages. And I know I've said this before, but to me, it's it's one of the key components of giving. Reflect on God's gifts to you. And look at verse 9. I didn't read it, but I save it for last because it tells us the greatest gift. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you might, through his poverty, might become rich. He says to this church, here's a portrait. If you want the greatest portrait, look at Jesus. Look at what Christ did for you, and coming and dying for you, so you would have life eternal. Remind yourself, reflect upon that also. You might want to write down Psalm 103. And so, as you and I look around and say, God, thank you for all you've given. Thanks for the way you've blessed me. Thank you for my spouse, my children, for my friends. Thank you. Look around and say thank you, but make sure when all's said and done, you look up and say thank you, God, for saving my soul, for loving me in the gracious way you tenderly help me and are patient with me. I mean, none of us got this thing called life figured out. We struggle and we make mistakes. I don't know about you, It seems daily I keep coming back in my prayer to say, God, thank you for your patience. Because without it, I'm in a heap of trouble. God's been good to us. Make sure you and I reflect on that. Every single day, it will help you live a life of generosity. Number two, remind yourself often of his promises about generosity. That there's benefits of sowing bountifully. The multiplication of God When he encounters our our generous giving, God steps in the picture. We talked at the example last week about the one dollar from the girl that resulted in what is, they believe, 100,000 people coming to Christ. You See, God takes the dollar, he multiplies it, and there's fruit. Only he can do that. So remind yourself often of his promises about generosity. I think deep down most believers really want to give instead of grab. I really do. It's worth it to start to adjust your lifestyle to becoming more generous, whatever it would take. And to do that, though, you and I really earnestly, honestly need to be prayerful about opportunities. Not to do it when the conditions are right. Not to give because we feel we have to, sense of guilt. Not simply this, but to give because it's what God would want us to do. And to give because we want to model this generous lifestyle to others, our children. To give that way. And as you and I consider how to give, I've, I challenged you a couple weeks ago to approach, whether it be daily opportunities or the building campaign, with a clean slate. Because there's a part of us that would want to say, well, if the conditions are just right, I'll give. Or if I feel like it. That's, those are wrong questions. That's not the point. The point is, God, what do you want me to give? Because it's yours. That's the question. So that's where I challenge us all with this clean slate to go before God and say, God, i got all this stuff going in my head. What do you want? Isn't that really how we should live life? With every decision. God, what do you want? And so remind yourself often of his promises about generosity. May that be a part of your equation as you consider living your life. And three, obviously, but... Glorify God by being extremely generous with your time and talents, gifts, resources. Be a giver. Scare yourself a little. Be sensitive to where God prompts you to give. I have two examples. Again, last week we talked about how God can multiply a dollar. Here's some testimonies from people whose God multiplied their dollars and and they lived With a generous heart, a historic Pennsylvania church is counting its blessings, this article says, from U.S. Home magazine. They're counting their blessings after someone donated several million dollars to pay off the church's mortgage. The surprise call came in January, I guess it would be a surprise call, notifying Pastor Dent that the church's $4 million mortgage, it would be $4 million mortgage, has been paid in full by an anonymous donor. This is what the pastor said. This is a blessing. It's unexpected, but we, can't, we just can't stop giving to the Lord credit for his provision. So who got the credit? God. They glorified God, the recipients. This happened in the state of Minnesota. A wealthy finance industry executive has donated over 17 million dollars to help a congregation pay off the mortgage for a campus that was built over 10 years ago. This interaction is very unique. The pastor explained to the congregation, he said, Four years ago, I met for lunch in Minneapolis with a wealthy financial services executive in the hopes of getting him to contribute to the campaign. And instead of making just a contribution to the campaign, the donor told the pastor he would just simply pay off the whole debt. That must have been an interesting conversation. He lets us in on it. He said, I began with a pitch explaining the value of the ministries and the future. And about halfway through, he interrupted me. And I thought I heard him say, Bob, forget about that. I think I'm going to pay the debt. But I was in a restaurant, he says. And there was noise all over. And I couldn't believe that's what he said. So I said, I, he responded. He said, I don't know if I heard you correctly. What did you say? He said, I'm going to pay off the debt. What is it? $17 million or so? Now, along with this check, he paid installments in it over a short time. Along with his checks, that equaled $17 When he gave the last installment, the donor sent a letter anonymously, which was read aloud to the congregation. And he wrote this. Why did I do it? I wanted to honor God for the many blessings he's bestowed on my life. Giving to this church seemed an appropriate way to honor God. My wife and I love this church. It has transformed so many lives in such deeply fundamental ways. Our devotion to God and the people of this church have become the bedrock of our marriage and our life. The financial blessings God has given us has enabled us to help people who need it, the, letter, the man's letter states. When they ask me how they can repay me, the staff who knew, I tell them to pay it forward. To help somebody else who can't repay them. And with this letter, I'm asking the people of this church to pay it forward. To the people of this church, please follow this lead. Step out in faith. And if you're giving to church today, please increase it. Make your palms sweat. Love that. And if you're not giving today, please start. You see, developing the habit of giving will reach people like God has reached you. And I couldn't help but be struck the multiple times in that article where it said, why did he give? To glorify and honor God. And that's the greatest motivation you and I can have when we live generously. That God is glorified in our life and all things. Let's pray. Lord, um, even reading those stories, I'm reminded that those type of numbers, while extremely, extremely high. Many of us don't relate to that type of money or ability to give that to that degree. And God, you don't ask us to give to that degree. Lord, you ask us to give out of hearts that are generous. To use what you've entrusted to us, be a conduit to bless life. And what a way to live. Lord, help us to experience that the joy and the the purposefulness, the blessing, the fruit that comes from living generously. And God, when all said and done, we hope our giving meets needs. It's true. We want to invest in the next generation. Lord, we do want to give towards a tool, a building that would bless and be a good, and position us in ministry. We do want to do that. But Lord, ultimately the motive... I pray that would be deeply entrenched in us as it pleases you. So lead us, guide us towards ways to give so that in all things and in every way, you are glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.